leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like him. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty alongside my co-host, Corbin Ford. I am Garrett Bougay, and this week we've got a special three-person pod, and a very special guest has rejoined the podcast for the first time in quite, quite some time. Simon Sharon Gordon, former member of the uh, NBA's social content department. Simon, uh, thanks so much for coming back on. It's it's great to have you back. It is awesome to be back. This is, uh, Garrett said, uh, a former member of the social content department. I'm, I'm expecting to return to the team uh, in the next couple months, uh, but my, my contract is up there, which means that I'm able to, to talk about the league freely again um i mean i i I wasn't anticipating how much i would miss i knew i would miss podcasting i was not anticipating how much uh so i'm like this the second my last day of work like i i texted these guys and i was like yo let's let's do something asap um so yeah I, i couldn't be more excited to be on I also just want to say that the last podcast I was on uh, was like a season preview where I picked the Los Angeles Lakers to make the NBA Finals and was the only person on that podcast to do so. So this is kind of coming full circle, a chance to uh, to kind of remind, you know, remind people that I, so, some of us saw this coming. Oh man, this is going to be an episode full of love for the Los Angeles Lakers, because of course Corbin, uh, the biggest fan of, uh, of the Lake Show, uh, I guess uh, I'm going to have to uh, already, uh, I-, I didn't know I was going to have to do this coming in, but already I guess I'm going to have to be the defender of the Miami Heat. Oh wow. <laughs> I mean listen, I'm sure we'll get into it, they're a very respectable team, they have fought here despite, you know, overpriced coffee and whatnot, like, this is, <laughs> this, this is an achievement for them. I will tell you, 
I mean, I think people, I mean, the Sixers were, were like a popular finals pick. I, I actually had Bucks Lakers before the season, and I remember people like thinking that both of those, like people were saying, I saw a lot of Sixers Clippers picks. Whoa, you're right. I don't. I almost forgot about the Sixers. Up yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't that high on them personally, just because I thought I thought it was clunky and like if it looked like a duck and it, it quacked like a duck, like that sort of thing. I didn't think the fit was going to work, and you know, to the surprise of literally everyone, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. It didn't. But yeah, at least as a Lakers fan, I saw a lot of Clippers talk, and obviously, I didn't catch your take here, or maybe you did if it was on this pod. But the point being, like, the Lakers was one that. You know, a lot of people were kind of saying it was Clippers and Bucks, and then if it wasn't that, it was Clippers and Sixers. But the Lakers and Heat was probably like, if, if there was an iteration that said that this was going to be the matchup, uh, we must have missed it. We have. Uh, if anyone hasn't figured out yet, uh, this episode we're going to be previewing the uh, the upcoming NBA Finals between the uh, the number one seed in the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the number five seed in the East, the Miami Heat. And, uh, yeah, Simon Corbin, you mentioned not, not a lot of people were, were, picking, the, were picking Miami to, to start the year, and I certainly wasn't either. But, uh, you know, as the postseason has, uh, has gone along, it, I have become more and more a, a believer of this Miami team, and I even picked the Heat to, to beat the Celtics uh, in that series, and they ended up getting it done in six. But it is a it is a weird contrast where you've got the one team that I think a lot of people expected uh, to uh, to come out, and of course LeBron. This is his ninth Finals appearance in ten seasons, and then you've got this team that that really no one saw coming until really the last uh, the last few weeks. I mean, they're, they're definitely it's definitely something that I mean at least the storylines which obviously write themselves, but and even the way we just phrased that, you know, Miami, not really, aside from you thinking about it just now with the conference finals, bringing that out, you know, it's a team that no one really thought of, whereas the Lakers, it's like, you know, it's already being talked about, you know, Lakers there, LeBron in his 10th NBA finals, all of that. One thing I find interesting, before we even dive into all the storylines, that both of these teams in the finals now, not only didn't make the playoffs at all last year, but both were tied for 10th in their respective conferences. There's, here's the thing that I, I do want to say about Miami and just, I mean, I promise I'm not just going to be praising myself for my preseason prediction. <laughs> uh, like, and, and I'll also I'll also start by saying, like you, Garrett, I did not have Miami as a finals contender um, entering the playoffs. I mean, it was I was looking at yeah, like you said, Corbin, Milwaukee, uh, Boston, Toronto was a team that like by you know. Preseason, I think people were low on, but by, by the time the playoffs came around, people realized they were a real a real problem. Um, I was not looking at Miami. I don't think anyone was. I will say that preseason, I do think I picked Miami to finish third or fourth in the East, which was also higher than a lot of people were looking at. And I think it's just, it speaks to why they ended up, I mean, I guess they only finished fifth, tied with Indiana. Um, but it, it speaks to why they ultimately were able to make a finals run, and that's just that, like, Jimmy Butler coming into a team that, like, was less than the sum of its parts the year before. And so not only did they go from Josh Richardson to Jimmy Butler, which is, I think we would all agree, worth five to ten wins for any team, uh, but he made all of these pieces fall into their respective roles, and that's worth a lot more, if, if, if not in terms of regular season wins, in terms of, like, ultimate upside. 
Yeah, so the, the first thing I, I kind of wanted to wanted to talk about when we, we start to break down this series, of course, one of the key stars in this matchup is, is Anthony Davis, and he has been absolutely terrific in these playoffs, but he is coming off uh, an ankle injury where, you know, I think it was it was either game three or game four, he twisted his his ankle pretty good, and then in the last game, game five against Denver, he uh, kind of tweaked it again. Uh, are you guys concerned at all about uh, Davis coming into the uh, the NBA Finals here? Uh, okay, so for me, I'm not. I think that having some rest will be important. For, for, for Davis, is interesting. I mean, watching him even from before coming to LA with the Pelicans, he's someone who I think is always an injury risk in terms of how he plays. It's almost this, this reckless abandon. And a little bit of that and, and some unfortunate luck with, I mean, the way he was kind of tripped up on the shot in general. That I feel like when he's blocking a shot, you know, he actually had an injury like that where he banged his hand pretty hard against the backboard and then that had him out for a minute. You know, things like that are always a, a, an issue with him. Um, I was definitely concerned the way he went down having watched it. And then, you know, him getting up and, and limping around a little bit, basically playing on one leg for the remainder of that game against Denver. But I do think that this, these additional days of rest and, and recovery on his ankle will be enough to get him... Um, back and my thinking being that if he was able to play with that injury then only rest would help with it because he wasn't able to play then I would obviously think it would be a lot more serious than it ended up being so I'm going that route and saying that his injury uh, was more like one of those LeBron ankle sprains where it looks really really bad but you know the guy's a little stronger than it yeah I hope you're right Corbin I mean we also saw Bam Adebayo kind of tweak his I believe it was his elbow uh, near the end of that series and I I was just so bummed out I'm like these teams are healthy going into the finals. Obviously, Avery Bradley's not with the Lakers, but like the, the, what they've had in the bubble, like both of these teams have have kept that core group healthy. Please not let's not lose like the premier big man matchup. Uh, I, I so I'm I'm really hoping that those guys are, are themselves. Right, I think Bam, yeah, hurt hurt that elbow area in Game Five, and then absolutely dominated that Game Six to, to close out Boston. So I I think he's uh, he should be all right, and and yeah, hopefully you know you as uh, as NBA fans as we all are, uh, we're we're hoping that both teams can can go at each other at full strength, and, and we get a heck of a series. But uh, the the I next, just oh, yeah, Garrett, like when was the last time? I mean, these whole. These whole playoffs, these these bubble playoffs have been like the best basketball I've ever seen. Like it's just honestly by far. I mean, it started off it started off looking like it would not be that because I think teams were still I think teams treated the seeding games kind of as like preseason, and then those first few playoff games felt a little like early regular season games. But once the playoff intensity kicked in and like the advantages of not traveling and not having distractions, like neutral core once all the all those kind of things like sunk in i just this has been the highest level most competitive basketball i've ever seen but when was the last time we went into a finals where both teams were healthy like i just i i couldn't tell you that is true that is true i'm i'm, I'm doing a mental 2019 we already know 2018 we already know Maybe 2017? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because even 2016, 2015. 20, yeah, you're right. Like I would say you're right. 2017, and then I would say 2014. And, and well, even 2014, Dwayne Wade was kind of banged up. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. We're, we're going back closer to a decade. I mean, well, you know, separated by a year or two, where, yeah, both teams are healthy, and that's not a fact we have to bring in. Like, right now, we obviously have 
injury issues on both Bam and Davis, but in terms of the grand scheme of things, it's not like we're saying, okay, Danny Green's going to miss the first three games or, you know, the Heat are going to be without Jay Crowder and how will that impact things. You know, like, yeah, for the most part, everyone is pretty much ready. And, and you're right, that is something that I think is worth taking a moment to appreciate because for the most part, it's almost always a given that there's somebody that you have to account for you know, it, 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 that's going to be injured. And also, to touch on the earlier point that you just mentioned, Simon, the basketball, you know, for the most part in this bubble, has been superb. Whether that's the shooters, you know, aside from the Lakers shooting, oh my God. But whether that's, <laughs> whether that's shooters, you know, having you know, rhythm, I heard that not having a background is important. I definitely love the fact that you don't have um, crowded around the baseline or, or inbounding the ball, you know, uh, either fans or, or camera people. Like, that's been great. And you're right, we've just seen some really good basketball. Whether that was in the early rounds watching Jamal Murray and, and Donovan Mitchell go at it. We had some good Eastern Conference battles between the Celtics and the Raptors. That was just a, a chess match treat. It, it's, it's been great. Yeah, the other uh, benefit of no fans is uh, we don't have to deal with the obligatory uh, delay for a beer spill or popcorn being knocked out of the front row person's hands. Uh, so that's, uh, that's been nice. But, but yeah, not only the fact that both teams are healthy, uh, but both of these teams have been dominant, both going 12-3. and three. And and one thing that I think is kind of ironic, given that uh, one of the criticisms of LeBron James's career is that he, he went through an Eastern Conference and that was, uh, was pretty weak. But uh, it honestly does feel like, uh, and I don't know if you guys agree with this, but that the, uh, the Western Conference, the road that the Lakers took, was a little bit easier than the path that, uh, that Miami took. Uh, I mean, was it though? Like, I mean, the Heat, this, uh, here's my thing about that. Like, on paper, yeah, because the Lakers just did it so easily, 4-1, 4-1, but like, we saw, I mean, at least I took note of the many think pieces and articles about why Portland was a scary, dangerous team, or Houston had the weapons to knock out the Lakers, or how Denver was going to be a problem with Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic, like, on the other side, I mean, with Miami Heat and the Pacers, it's like, yeah, some thought that I was, you know, an upset um, for the Heat. I looked at that more as a toss-up. I definitely saw Milwaukee and Boston as more significant challenges. But on the whole, and maybe I'm showing my Lakers bias here, but maybe I, I don't. I think it was pretty much, pretty much even. I think maybe the Lakers avoided the Clippers being a big thing. But if the Clippers lost to the Nuggets in the way they did, maybe they didn't deserve. Maybe they weren't one of the better teams there. You know what I mean? Like. I've been thinking about that for a minute, so I'm glad you brought it up, but I can't quite bring myself to believe that just because the Lakers took care of business the way that they did. You know what I mean? And and that's where I'm kind of at, because Houston was talked about a lot as a team that was going to be challenging for L.A., and the way Damian Lillard came to bubble, that was something, even though, you know, I was fairly confident the Lakers would put them down. So I I really don't know. Aside from the Heat versus Bucks, which was obviously, you know, the big one to go through, uh, I don't know if I can say that, Gary. It's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I mean, I think we can probably all agree that Milwaukee was the toughest team that either of them, either team, faced. And Miami, to their credit, made Milwaukee not look like that tough of an opponent. Although that was obviously a much closer series than the five games would suggest. Um, and, and Giannis was was kind of hurt near the end, which which softens that a bit. But they were they were the premier team in the league this year. Um, but you're right, Corbin, like, people, people, every round, 
Uh, until, ironically, I think the conference finals, I don't think people really bought Denver as, as, as big a threat. I think they were actually, I was surprised that was a five-game series. I thought it was probably going to go seven, um, which is just all credit to the Lakers because Denver beat the team that would have made it a tougher path for L.A., and, and, and L.A. didn't uh, didn't have that nearly as much of a problem with them. So, yeah, th- their, their path was probably pretty comparable. Um, which is still, to Garrett's point, I think, a, a step down from what it was for most Western teams over the last decade, which was a significantly tougher path. Uh, but but they, they, beat, um, they, they took the life of, of all three teams they faced round by round by round, no question. Yeah, the, um, the Denver Nuggets were certainly, uh, were certainly a formidable opponent, and, and as, uh, as you said, Simon, that was... That also was uh, like the Miami Milwaukee series, a lot closer of a series than than a five gamer would suggest. But uh, you know, again, Miami knocking out Milwaukee and Boston, both of those teams with the number one and two net rating in the NBA this season. Uh, so an impressive route uh, to the finals for both teams, and and doing it in in pretty convincing fashion makes this a, a very very compelling matchup. But uh, one, of the, one of the first things I wanted to discuss, and of course with any series featuring LeBron James, the, the big question is, you know, who's going to guard him? Does the, does the opposing team have people that can defend him? And, uh, you know, for me, I think Miami can answer that question in the affirmative with the likes of Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, and even, you know, they could, they could theoretically throw Bam on LeBron at times in this series. So I, this is, to me, one of the most interesting subplots of the series because, like, on one hand, what is the Lakers' biggest advantage? I'm, and I'm sure we'll talk about uh, LeBron, we'll talk about the matchup with AD later. Uh, but the biggest advantage is that they have the two best players by a considerable margin. Um, that's just, like, the top level, what's the Lakers' edge? At the same time, like... To me, one of Miami's biggest advantages is that they can actually throw, as you mentioned, four guys at LeBron and probably get away with single covering him for most of this series. Um, and it, it does remind me a lot of, I mean, we saw Andre Iguodala steal the finals MVP from Steph Curry for this, uh, his, his ability to to uh corbin did you have the the under on me bringing up steph within the first thing <laughs> <laughs> no i was thinking this oh my goodness but, uh, but no we saw we saw you know we saw andre do that and he got due credit but probably a little too much credit right the warriors also had draymond green clay thompson and harrison barnes who were all able to take turns on lebron and miami reminds me a lot of that obviously andre is not the guy that he was in 2015, but I would say that Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and Bam Adebayo are, are more formidable than some of those other Warriors defenders I mentioned. So, like, and LeBron's not the same guy he was in 2015. Right, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think to me it's like, yes, LeBron is the best player in the series. If you want to argue it's AD, we, maybe we, we'll get into that if either of you want to argue that. Um, but, like, at the same time, Miami has just a an arsenal of guys that they can throw at him. Um, so I don't even know if I can consider that like one of the Lakers' biggest advantages. 
That's interesting. Okay, so like on the LeBron, and I guess I, it's, that's a lot to pack just in general. I'm talking about, you know, obviously advantage here. For LA, I, I think, and Garrett pointed this out, you brought up as well, LeBron isn't the player that he was, you know, a couple years back with Iguodala, you know, against Crowder. He's played all of these main defenders with the exception of Bam Adebayo before. At the same time, I would say LeBron has more or less stayed the same more than any of those players. Like, Iguodala has definitely lost a step. Crowder is still more or less in his prime, but I think at LeBron, where he's at right now, he's still, uh, I don't think he's going to have a problem. Like, it seems like he'd have a bunch of, and I've seen this a few times now, but like LeBron, kind of slower. So, you know, I don't look at these guys, okay, let me check. It's going to be almost, uh, I don't want to bring up the Warriors myself, but how the Warriors kind of ran a variety of different defenders on LeBron with the Cavs. You know, they had, you know, uh, Kirk Durant, you had Clay Thompson, you had Iguodala, just different looks. You weren't going to stop the man but you were hopefully going to be able to contain him with, you know, above average to, to really good defenders. And with Miami, I think that's the same. Do I think that any of them will, will limit him enough? I, I think it's more or less just another defender. You know, Iguodala has the know-how just like Crowder does. It hasn't been a huge difference in the past. I don't expect it to be any different now, especially the way LeBron's playing as of late. But, I mean, it's not like uh, Iguodala or Crowder are, are, are just, you know, horrible defenders. Uh, you can definitely expect Derek Jones Jr. to get a look. I would definitely expect Bam to get a look, but in my mind, I think that, uh, of course, the Avenger or, or the main focus is Davis, but I don't think, yeah, I'm, I'm bearing the lead with Jimmy Butler, but I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking that they're going to be able to take one or the other completely out. It's like Miami has the best defenders to guard the Lakers this postseason, bar none, like easily. The, you know, the Rockets were the next closest, and their best defender, P.J. Tucker, can only guard one of either LeBron or Davis, but in this case, I don't know if I'm if I'm taking if I'm I don't want to overstate, you know how good LeBron's been and and, and how uh, adequate the defense might be. I don't think it'll be a, a very uh, great deterrent in that way. So I guess this this is a big picture question, kind of that maybe we can save for closer to the end. But I guess what I what I'm thinking about with that, and Garrett, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Is like if yes, like yeah, for sure, Corbin. There's no there's no way that. Miami is going to stop LeBron, or I, 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 don't, I don't see any way that LeBron doesn't have a fantastic series. Um, but the question that I'm kind of bouncing around is like, if Miami is able to single cover him all series, will he be able to be so explosive and so dominant that like that is enough to lead the Lakers to victory, given Miami's roster advantages elsewhere? Or will he just have a very good series, but by not commanding consistent double teams and, and wreaking havoc and opening things up for the rest of the team, will that be enough? That's that's kind of the question I'm, I'm playing with, and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, the um, the the interesting thing for me, and you know, when you talk about the series that LeBron just got through against Denver, you know, the Nuggets threw Jeremy Grant on him for for most of the games, and. There was a play in Game 5 where LeBron just, you know, just bullied Grant under the basket and, and finished a left-hand layup with Grant hitting him on the head with no foul call. Um, but, uh, you know, that was a play where you, you just look at that and go, okay, this LeBron, 2020 LeBron, uh, he's beating people with strength. He's beating people with his patience, his craftiness. And this Heat team, these defenders that they can throw at him, the, the, the number one attribute, I think, to defending LeBron is, you know, having, having at least decent lateral movement to not get blown by, 
But then the key being that you are strong enough to not just get bullied under the rim. And the Heat, I think, are perfectly set up with their with their defensive personnel to prevent him from just pushing them under the basket. And as you said, Simon, you know, not have to double team, but if LeBron does get near the hoop, that's when you can send the help and, and try to force a pass and, and make the other Lakers guys beat you from three. I, I kind of agree with that. My thinking is that, and this is especially since the Heat went smaller with Bam, I think what is Bam... And then I think Crowder at four, and then Butler, and then uh, Robinson, or Robinson and Butler, and then Dragic. That people don't get the Lakers are, are just huge. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, you know, they, that LeBron won't hammer, you know, into the paint consistently, or that Davis, you know, will have his way there. But you still have Dwight Howard to watch out for, Javale McGee, bring in Kuzma. You just have guys who are even. I mean, Davis, I would say, measured up against Bam. Uh, Davis is probably bigger, right? I mean, I don't think that's that that uh, is a debate or anything. But like. In general, the Lakers just are a big team, and they play that way. And when you have, I mean, not only a guy with the IQ of LeBron as far as the defense at the Heat deploy a lot of zone, but then you have a team that, you know, can can get in the dunker spot and can just overwhelm on the boards because you are playing a zone. I think that in some ways they neutralize, you know, being able to form a wall, but I also think that Denver tried elements of the same. Now, mind you, Miami has better personnel, but in terms of being able to pick apart that and overwhelm it with the size you know, and strength of the team. If there's a team that can do that to Miami, they haven't faced it yet. I mean, they just came through Boston with, with some of the most inept bigs they've had, and that's no disrespect, like, yes, it is. But, you know, no, like, inept bigs that they've played this entire series. You're going from, you know, Daniel Tyson and Grant Williams and moments of Ennis Cantor to Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. I mean, it's a night and day situation. Yeah, the, uh, the the big question mark with that, though, is, you know, if the Lakers play Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, play that traditional center for big minutes, does that kill them on the defensive end? Because Miami has shown, and even in that Boston series, even in the minutes where Boston played Daniel Tice, who is a, a pretty mobile big, uh, they were, Brad Stevens was forced to go with Grant Williams down the stretch of that, uh, of that game six because, you know, Tice just couldn't handle the likes of Dragic and, and uh, Hero in the pick-and-roll game. And so that is, a, that is a question mark. If the Lakers are going to play that traditional center, can they stop Miami on, on the defensive end? Because, you know, Miami is usually going to have a couple of guys on the floor that you cannot leave beyond the arc. And that makes a that makes a big difference and a big impact with your help assignments. Uh, you know, I have, that's interesting. I do have a, like a response or an idea to that, but I don't know if I should save it for the X factor there. But even when the, there is a lineup or a few lines the Lakers can use, where even when going smaller, they still end up big. And I think well, I'm just going to name one player, but like even with Marquise Morris, someone who has shot the ball well from three this postseason, someone who does definitely plays bigger than his size and. I think would be able to be more mobile. I don't think you have an uh, optimal lineup for that, but at the same time, um, maybe aside from Dragic and Hero, I, I don't think, I mean, Butler is the guy who can definitely get to the rim, but he, I don't think his, his speed is that blazing or his moves are that, you know, to shake some of the Lakers, who defensively are pretty sound, even if, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't compare him to Daniel Tyson that way, but uh, the similar archetype to that, I would agree. Yeah, to, to go off of a conversation, I, I have thoughts on this lineup stuff that I, uh, I can, I can either throw out now or, or save. Yeah, I'm, go for it. Well, I, all right, yeah, if we're just going off script, this is, this is a, good, uh, a good time to bring this up because, like, the, it's going to be so interesting as this series goes on what 
which rotation players on each side are potentially squeezed out of the rotation. Um, for LA, I feel like the biggest question I have is, will either the bigs or even Kuzma maybe at times be difficult to play because Miami just, if Miami goes small and they go like with like a Drogic, Hero, Robinson, Butler, Bam lineup for a lot of stretches, like that, that group just puts you through such an endless barrage of pick and rolls, you know, like ball rotations and, and off ball screens and so much movement. And like, I don't know if those, that Lakers front court, um, can, can really keep up with that and handle that for big minutes. So I, I see I see a way in which Miami can really punish the Lakers for going big uh, by going small. Now that being said, to Corbin's point, like Miami has Miami has struggled um, not only defense. I, I would I wouldn't even say defensively as much as just on the on the glass like. Boston was giving them a lot of problems on the offensive glass, and that's a team that wasn't much bigger than Miami. Um, that's one area that I do think the Lakers will try to punish them, and it'll be a matter of, you know, can, like, which which will mean more, right? If, if those bigs have a harder time keeping up with Miami's small ball, then Miami's small lineup has staying afloat on the boards, or potentially defensively to begin with, like, Stopping, uh, stopping a LeBron AD pick and roll, stopping a LeBron JaVale pick and roll with Anthony Davis, you know, in the dunker spot, whatever it might be. Um, that, that, that to me is going to be so interesting to see kind of where LA has to go with its personnel. Yeah, the, um, the whole big versus small for the Lakers is fascinating. You know, if they, uh, I do think their best chance in this series is going with AD at the five and LeBron at the four, maximize that as much as possible. Uh, but then, you know, you when you do that, you you give extended minutes to the likes of Rondo and, and Kuzma and, uh, you know, Markeith Morris. Uh, you know, so those three guys in particular, I think, if, if the Lakers do try to downsize and match the heat because maybe Miami's punishing them, with uh, with the Heat's real, you know, um, movement-heavy offense, uh, those three guys in particular for the Lakers are going to have to play well defensively because they're going to be tested on that end, unlike anything they've seen all season long. And they're going to be tested on offense. I mean, when you talk about a guy like Rondo, he's, he's shot the ball well this postseason. Yeah. But Miami's going to make him continue to shoot the ball well. I mean, when, when the not only... Like, on one hand, yeah, Miami's going to play the kind of pack-the-paint defense that they did against Milwaukee to such success. They're going to throw a lot of zone out there, I'm sure. Um, we can, I'm sure we'll get into later, talking about how effective that might be. But, like, at the same time, they can afford to wait until the ball gets down low and, and, and double um, because they have the wings to do it with, with those kind of, you know, skills, anticipation, wingspan, all that. And they're going to challenge guys like Rondo to hit open shots. Um, and will, will they continue to? Maybe. But if they don't, then that puts Frank Vogel in such an interesting spot because it's like, <laughs> do, you, do you play your bigs that might get burned on the defensive end? Do you play your, your, uh, some of your 
lesser backcourt players bigger minutes that aren't really providing that much offensive value if they're not hitting their shots anyway, and then Miami can exploit that in other ways. It's going to be really interesting how, how that shakes out. True. Uh, and I'm, I'm on the opposite. I'm thinking that if the shots do continue, at least, and especially for me on Rondo's end, you have someone who, with an IQ just like LeBron, I think will not only have the, the mind to be able to pick at you know the zone of Miami, but also if his shooting is sustained, at least through the finals. I mean, who knows how, I'm not saying Rondo's a streaky shooter, but we, we've seen you know him catch fire on a little bit and then, and then be gone. Um, if it's anywhere like that, then I think that's an additional weapon. Uh, against Miami, because not only has Rondo been, and I've talked about this before, Garrett, playoff Rondo is definitely a thing. But when his shooting is going on, he's been he still makes mistakes. We saw a couple of halves against Denver that were uh, not as fine as ours. But as a ball hawk defensively, he's made an impact as someone whose IQ and knowing where to go when he's not making stupid passes to prove that he knows where to go is something. But I think that's a tremendous asset that the Heat probably won't account for, because, okay, what if he is making the shots? You know, what if that is a statement? And then I, we'll get into, like I said, you know, other players later. But Kuzma is someone I'm also really looking at as far as, as a big deal in, the, in, in, in this series. Yeah, the um, speaking to, why don't we just get into the, Simon, you, you mentioned the zone that uh, the Heat have used throughout these playoffs. And, uh, you know, the zone defense has become, become popularized this postseason with, with Nick Nurse using it uh, with the Raptors. And, of course, Spolstra has, has used it more this season than, than any other team. And, uh, you know, as, as the series went on against the Celtics, I think Boston got better and better attacking that zone. But a few of the things that you need to, to really attack that zone defense is you need a few pull-up jump shooters. You saw Boston screening the, to the outside of that, uh, of that front two to get their guys going towards the sideline and, and potentially forcing that uh, that guy in the corner of the three to come up to, to contest that shot, which then would open up the pass to the corner. The Lakers don't really have the pull-up threats like a Kemba Walker or a Jason Tatum to really force the Heat defense to to react too much to, to screens like that. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Lakers are, are likely going to attack it in a completely different way with with LeBron and Davis trying to force their way to the rim. And, of course, uh, with their, you know, the Lakers being one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the league, that's another way that they can uh, create offense. But it, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how effective that zone is. I think it's got to, I think, it, I think that he'd have a decent chance of being effective with that, uh, with that style of defense. I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. Just like you said, though, the, it's a lot of, of scenarios right now where both teams haven't matched up with an opponent like this on either end. Because for me, you know, the Lakers haven't had a defense that's going to force them or stretch them and put more reliance on outside shooters as much as this has. Because in the past, LeBron, they have been enough. I think that there'll be enough for this, too. Do I think they'll be pushed a lot harder? Of course. At the same time, I mean, aside from Giannis for three games, Miami hasn't really been tested in that way either. And even with the pull-up threats, you know, that, that Kemba Walker and Tatum provided, not only was Boston just kind of smaller down the stretch, but the, the Miami Heat's defense, that zone defense, was able to flummox the Celtics in ways that, I mean, the Celtics, it was like they hadn't seen a zone before when they clearly had just the round before. Um, I don't think that's going to happen with the Lakers. Actually, I'm pretty positive it's not. Not even just being prepared, but just having had to battle the zone some with Denver and in general. Now, the athletes that Miami has that disposal are different. But at the same time, I definitely see just by the size of LeBron and AD, and not just the size, but both of them can make plays from, I mean, you have AD playmaking just in general, 
of all, yeah, like you said, the Lakers have, they've seen some of these looks before. Uh, Miami has not seen a team like this. But I, you can you can tell me I'm naive with this. I just, I don't see Frank Vogel. I mean, it's, it's, it's ironic because, like, guys like Mike Budenholzer and Brad Stevens are, like, you know, as respected and, and considered some of the most innovative coaches in the league. But I just don't see Frank Vogel getting as flummoxed by this as either of those guys did. Like, I, I actually have more faith in him, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that he has LeBron on his side. But, like, even outside of that, I just have more faith in him to kind of push the right buttons and find the right soft spots and wrinkles in that Miami scheme to to not be as flummoxed by the zone for the duration of the series. Now, might it take them a couple games? I could totally see that. Um, and, like, you know, I, I've heard it brought up, like, how the, the, the Dallas zone just totally broke LeBron in 2011. Uh, first of all, he's had nine years to prepare for that, that happening again. Um, and he's a different player. He's a smarter player. He, and, he, and I'm sure he learned from that in and of itself. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just tell tell me if I'm crazy for having like more faith in Frank Vogel. Um, and this with, with the roster he has being able to, to kind of not have, that Miami zone be the checkmate move that, that it was in previous rounds. I agree. I think that you have, and this is probably not understated, it's been talked about a few times, but it is no surprise or no coincidence that two of the best in adjustments are in the finals in Vogel and Spolster. Like, yes, like Vogel has made adjustments in each round, even, you know, some as, as uh, obvious and profound as just shifting his starting lineup, particularly his centers, other times in terms of scheme and philosophy. Uh, to make teams match up with the Lakers and ultimately go down trying to do that or beating the opponents at their own game. Like, Vogel has done a very good job. Like, he's been talked about, you know, as, as you know, whether something LeBron's coaching or whatever. I've heard all sorts of uh, segments on what uh, Vogel is or isn't doing. But you have two things going on right now. One, Vogel's strength is def- on the defensive end as, as it was. And two, when you're bringing up LeBron, not saying, oh, well, guess what? Now Vogel has that defensive acumen and now he has LeBron on his team. I've seen that on Twitter, too. One, the person that was totally different between the 2020 Lakers and the 2014 Pacers, you know. But you have someone whose schemes have been proven um, to have success. And you have players that, with IQs that, and someone in LeBron and Anthony Davis who can uh, not only initiate that on one end, but I think knowing the defense, being a defensive coach, can also help with the offensive and to find out where holes are and why they won't be surprised by, oh my goodness, we haven't seen this before, you know. Yeah, but I guess my my response to that is that attacking a zone isn't all about the you know the preparation. It's about personnel as well. You know, one of the one of the things you learn as a as a young player going up against the zone is what's very important is being able to shoot the basketball against the zone. And the Lakers, I think, finished twenty first in the NBA in three point percentage. You know, Boston and, and even Milwaukee, I think, are, are they're both better shooting teams than this Lakers group. Um, and and frankly, Miami, you know, part of the benefit of a of a two three as well is you can kind of even if necessary, depending on who you're facing, you can kind of shrink that down and and really almost uh, you know have all five defenders in the paint or really close to the paint. So it'll be fascinating. I think another key aspect of the Lakers being able to beat the zone. Uh, is uh, you know is the shooting of, of LeBron and AD. Of course, LeBron finally found his jump shot in, in Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. Anthony Davis, his, his shooting numbers have been ridiculous in the, 
In the regular season, from the short mid-range, he shot 40%. In the playoffs, that's up to 52 And then uh, in the long mid-range, in the regular season, he was at just 33%, but he's shooting long mid-rangers at 50% in the playoffs. So I guess a, a big part of uh, the, the Lakers being able to attack that zone effectively is also going to come down to, to their stars making their outside jumpers. I think so, but I think that, I mean, on, on both ends, I would say that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, if the Lakers could conceivably do something similar by saying, okay, we stick on um, Duncan for sure, Dragic, you know, he, he can be on and off, uh, not really a, a ice-cold three-point shooter, but I mean, he's been, he's hovered around the 30s before, high 30s, low 30s, just in general, um, and then Tyler Hero, but you could say the same thing that you would say about LeBron shooting, I would say the same for Jimmy Butler as of late. The three-pointers come around, but the dude was shooting something awful. I think he was the worst, or not, I don't think, he was one of the worst shooters in the league. I mean, he was at, through August, he was shooting 25% from three, and yeah, he, he took that up, I think he's shooting somewhere around 40% on pretty low volume, but uh, this is a guy who was right up there with Russell Westbrook, actually ahead of him. Um, Kirk Goldsberg had a tweet a couple months ago on the least efficient jump shooters in the league. So he's someone I would definitely watch in force in the jump shooting. And I think the way that he plays LeBron, um, other well, maybe not Caruso, but LeBron and, and guys of size, Kuzma, it would, it would behoove them to force him to shoot. And, you know, he would probably bully smaller guards. I would see KCP or, or Alex Caruso in the lane, but I would force him to shoot. Um, Bam on bio flashes the mid-range now and then, but I would definitely not consider him a shooter. Uh, a lot of this, I think, would fall on, on the shooting for both teams, maybe more so for the Lakers because they haven't proven it as of, of yet. But last I checked, Jay Crowder also fell off a cliff in the Eastern Conference final shooting. And if you take him and Butler and Bam Adebayo and, and, and just factor in Crowder shooting the way he is, all of a sudden you're left with a, a great shooter in Duncan Robinson and Goran Dragic, and then you were just looking at pretty bad shooting on both sides all around. Um, so I would look at shooting as a, as a key thing for both, and I would employ the Lakers to kind of keep that same strategy. You know, keep Bam out of bio when you have a defender in Anthony Davis who can more or less do that. You know, uh, kind of limit his effectiveness around the basket. His back-to-basket game isn't super great. Um, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good finisher, but his, his shot isn't super great. And force those guys into taking jumpers. Um, and even if you do a defense that is close or, 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 or resembling what Miami's doing, I think that would take them out because they don't have great penetrators aside from Dragic as of yet. Um, Butler can definitely do it. But their shooting is a key factor when they're – when the Lakers are shooting over 30%, I think, from three, I think they've won. Like, I, I, I'm not pulling up a, a, a great stat right now, but they, they, I think they've been undefeated when they've shot over 33% from three. And then the Heat have had hot, cold felt just as well. So I think both teams are, you know, they have sharpshooters, at least in name or in theory, on both sides, but that's kind of like the X factor. I, I think another area that, uh, because certainly the zone, uh, whether it be zone or just L.A. packing the paint against Miami, like both offenses are going to struggle in the half court with that if they're not hitting their shots. Um, and I do agree, Corbin, that like the shooting could be more up and down on both teams. It's not necessarily as like like I, I do think Miami clearly has more shooting. But at the same time, like if Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala come back down to earth and if some, you know, some guys on the Lakers get going a little more, that, that could even out at least. But, but one area that I do think uh, the Lakers have a clear advantage and probably need to exploit is in transition because the Lakers are obviously one of the best transition offenses in the league, if not the best. And that is the best way, obviously, to not let Miami set up their zone defense. Um, 
So, like, what do you guys think about LA's ability? Like, I think we can probably all agree that they will thrive in transition when they get out in transition. What What do you think about their ability to force turnovers against Miami and kind of make that a a steady part of, of their offensive diet in this series? Yeah, that's where, you know, a guy like uh, Rajon Rondo, of course, there was that crazy fourth quarter sequence in game three against Denver where Rondo had, what, like four steals and five possessions or something. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about X-Factors late, uh, later, but spoiler, he's he's one of mine. I think he's a player that could potentially wreak havoc and uh, if he's locked in um, and, uh, and make some plays, but... Um, yeah, I think you know Miami has also faced Milwaukee and 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 Giannis, a team that and a player that relies on transition to get going. And I thought Miami did a pretty decent job of building a wall. I think they're again Eric Spolster is going to have them prepared and, and ready to get back because he knows that the Lakers have uh, have thrived and and really survive on on the transition game, whereas their half court offense isn't as pretty. Um, and, and speaking to Corbin's point about the whole thing about, you know, Butler and LeBron as shooters, yes, Butler has, has had a terrible shooting season, but I think that's the advantage of the Miami offensive system is that with so much movement and, and everything going on, Butler, of course, as well as Crowder are both really good cutters. They're moving constantly. Uh, I, I don't think it's as big of a deal for Miami's half-court offense um, that those guys aren't that great of shooters. I mean, we saw it with Jay Crowder. I think he went like 0 for 70 in the last three games against Boston, but Miami's offense was still great. Uh, he was still able to make some timely cuts and get some hoops, and, and it didn't detract from anybody else making plays. Um, whereas in, if the Lakers get in the half court, if Miami is able to slow Los Angeles down and, and make it a half court game, I, I do think LeBron's jump shot is is very critical given that uh, the Lakers' offense a lot is give the ball to LeBron or, or give the ball to AD. I, with that, I think that that's something that, you know, especially watching Crunch Time Lakers games have been just a study in, in, in terror as a fan um, and, and marveling at how such a, a bad Crunch Time offense can succeed, you know, when it has worked just as an NBA analyzer. But on the other end, no offense to Boston, you know, the Lakers' defense I think is definitely more ratchet up than Boston. The fact that the Heat were able to get you know, relatively easy offense, despite having horrific spurts in several games against Boston, including times where they, they would go, you know, five, six minutes without making a shot and their shooter going awry. Um, that could be an issue for the Lakers, though. Uh, I think that that defense between Boston and Lakers night and day, I think that they will pay for that. Not only that, with the Lakers being forced to run in transition, they're going to do their best and with good reason to limit that half-court play. So I could see the Heat being forced, you know, miss a shot here, get back and run to protect the rim. Like, that type of volume is going to happen. And it will be in more of a situation like that because the Lakers' defense is one of the best in the league. And, and Boston was decent, but it wasn't the Lakers. Boston's so, number four, just FYI. Yes, the Lakers are a little bit better, but Boston was a top-five defense. They're they're elite. They're, I mean, they're, they're very good. I, I, they're elite, as you said. But watching the Lakers' defense and watching Boston's defense, I'm, I feel pretty confident. <laughs> I feel pretty confident that it's going to be more of an issue for them to shoot. Like, I don't think they'll be able to kind of waltz through, you know, hey, we're going out. We're one for twelve from three, but we're flowing into offense just fine. I I do see that as a slight deterrent, just in levels of going from the fourth to one of the top two, possibly. I I have to remember where the Lakers ranked. I just know they were top three. Yeah. So um, one of the um, one of the things you know, speaking to 
the Lakers defending the Heat. I thought, uh, you know, um, with uh, with Los Angeles playing a traditional big with Howard and McGee, how would you guys imagine they're going to defend those actions with the likes of Dragic and Hero? Are they going to maybe throw some traps like they did with Jamal Murray against Denver or play it uh, play it more traditionally? So we're saying the Lakers have one of their one of their traditional centers on the floor, and we're talking about like a Bam Dragic pick and roll, for example, right? Yeah, or a dribble handoff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that that's that's kind of what I was getting at earlier, and why I'm like skeptical of those guys' ability to stay on the floor against this team. Yeah. Um, I I think yeah, you, you can't go under against. I mean, multiple multiple guys on the Heat. Maybe maybe Dragic is someone who you 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 kind of forced to hit some shots uh, more than like a hero or a Duncan Robinson. Um, but for the most part, you're going to have to, to take away the three there. That probably requires a trap, force those guys to give the ball quick. But then Bam is just such an unbelievable playmaker on the roll um, and was really dicing up Boston with that. I think he'll do the same to the Lakers if, if he's put in that position. Um so, so it's it's just going to be a struggle with those guys on the floor defensively. Um, that's why I was saying earlier, like the Lakers are going to have to extract a big advantage on the other end and on the glass to, to kind of level that out. So let's let's go to then the lineups with say AD at the five and LeBron at the four. Do you imagine it's just going to be a lot of switching with those groups? Uh, I would attempt. I mean, I, I think it gives you the option to switch. You know what I mean? I liberally just with the you know the, the the fact that or the chance that you would have a player that you don't want guarding bam you know what i mean like I, I wouldn't think the philosophy would be to switch everything but i know if you're going that route then it definitely makes it easier to do so um and, and it's something that i think the lakers will more like take it if we have to you know what i mean like okay we're gonna stay to our side as close as possible but if the switch if the switch happens the switch happens rather than more doing it just to have a switchy lineup because the heat do have between shooters um, between guys who could just break off defenders off the dribble and between guys like Bam Adebayo who would just be a beast in the post against like a KCP or players of that ilk. Um, I don't think that would be beneficial for LA. But I think by going that route, you do make it um, where, you know, in, in lineups or in, in situations where, hey, you know, we can have this defense that is more or less switchy um, to take advantage of that. I just see the Lakers more or less trying to go up with size. I think they would even go down with Marquise at the 4 slash 5 alongside AD before they do AD at the 5 and LeBron at the 4 straight up. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also curious on that end who LeBron guards. To me, it, it seems pretty obvious that he'll be guarding Jay Crowder and yeah. ignoring him and forcing him to make shots, but there's there's an argument that you know if, if he's not on Jimmy Butler, that allows Butler to get going. Uh, so what do you guys think about uh, what LeBron's assignment is going to be as this as this series goes on? I mean, I agree with what you just said, but I also think, like, I worry about if he doesn't guard Goran Dragic at times. Is Goran Dragic going to get going? I mean, we saw we saw what Jamal Murray did uh, to everyone this postseason. Um, we know the Lakers are without Avery Bradley, who's clearly their best, like, point guard defender, on-ball, one-on-one guy. Um, and it hasn't hurt them yet, but, like, Jamal Murray had a fantastic series, and LeBron taking that challenge on late in that series kind of 
solidified it for the Lakers. Um, Dragic has also had a fantastic postseason. He's not he's not quite as explosive as Murray, obviously, but like he's he's played at an extremely high level. And I don't know what the Lakers are going to do about that if they don't if they don't throw LeBron at him at times. I mean, LeBron has kind of had to be their like break glass in case of emergency perimeter stopper. Um, and Miami has has a couple guys you mentioned Butler, but Dragic too that like they might need to use him on. So so that's that's a big concern to me if I'm LA. Um, I, I don't really know how you put out all those fires. Yeah, it's uh, and and yeah, as you said, compared to Denver, who really you know LA had the the perfect foils of putting AD on Jokic and then putting LeBron on Murray in crunch time, and that really worked out. But yeah, Miami, especially with their crunch time lineups, they're going to have Dragic, Hero, Butler, and even Bam. All four of those guys can can create offense, whereas uh, Denver, it was really their, their top two, and everyone else was a complementary piece, a play finisher. So yeah, it, it might be a situation where LeBron is uh, is just putting on is just put on whoever's hot, and then that gets uh, and and that's what's so scary about this Miami team. They're so balanced offensively that uh, you know when one guy is is struggling, they can just they can just find another option. They can find another set, whether that's an isolation with Butler, whether that's a dribble handoff with with Dragic or Hero and Bam, whether that's a, a face up from the elbow from from Bam as well that we saw at the end of of game six where he just attacked Daniel Tyson and dominated. They, Miami has so many places that they can go where, yeah, it feels kind of like whack-a-mole for LeBron and the Lakers. I, I, I definitely think it'll be um, interesting to see where they put him. Um, I don't know. I want to see a couple more mid-range shots from Bam. He did go crazy against Daniel Tyson, but um, maybe I'm just not that high on Daniel Tice. Uh, actually, no, I'm not that high on Daniel Tice. But in general, I think it'll be um, it'll be something to see where that happens. Whether you're right, you know, you're you're putting on LeBron to stifle on the hot Whether you're using him, like I agree with you, Garrett, on Crowder to be more as a help defender and hope that you know if Crowder's not making shots, then okay, great. They put him in action, then LeBron will, will kind of you know take that switch and maintain that action. But um, aside from that, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to see where exactly put LeBron. My deal would be Crowder helping off um, and hoping that, you know, he's had this hot and cold streak. He was shooting 29% in Memphis and 44% in Miami, and then he was shooting blazing hot up through the Eastern Conference Finals, and obviously right now it's probably the inevitable fall, so we will see kind of where that goes. Yeah, Bam is shooting 46% from the mid-range in these playoffs after shooting just 38% during the regular season, and also his, his free-throw shooting has shot up. He was in the high 60s. Uh, prior to the shutdown, and then and and then in the bubble, he's shooting over eighty percent. So um, I think there's a chance uh, with him and AD. There's a chance for some regression back to the mean, uh, but uh, we will have to we will have to wait and see I, on that. But I have to stop you right there. I mean, I hope you're not trying to put the playoff moniker on Bam because Ronda already has it. We can't talk about Bam raising his level of play and, and even invoke ideas of a playoff Bam. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So uh, the uh, I, I sent both of you guys uh, a uh, kind of a guide for, with some with some general questions and, and the next thing I had on my list was kind of like the the depth and coaching edge in this series. Uh, I'm curious to get your your guys's take on on both of those topics. I mean, just just to the to the depth point, like I mentioned it earlier, right? What this series clearly boils down to, like, 
we're talking about just top line advantages. The Lakers' top line advantage is that they have the two best players, and I would say the two best players by a considerable margin. Although I do think Bam Adebayo is still underrated, like even with all the praise he's gotten, um, I I just I think he's still underrated. Like I think that the the he he might be the best player on the Heat, and interesting. Regardless of whether or not you think it's him or Jimmy Butler, I, I can see arguments going both ways. It kind of gets into your philosophy of basketball. It's, it's kind of similar to the LeBron AD argument, honestly. Um, but however you think that shakes out, I think that Miami has two top 15 guys, but I think that the Lakers have two top five guys. Um, and on the flip side, Miami's like just baseline advantage is that after after those two guys, they probably have the next best. If we're if we're t- if we're taking the top four players, right, the top two guys on both teams out, I'd say the next four best players in the series could all be on the Heat. Um, I mean, I, I just I mean, Dragic, Hero, Duncan Robinson. Uh, I, I there's no one else on the Lakers. I think comes close to any of those guys. Um, and then you could argue that Jay Crowder as well is better than anyone else on the Lakers. You could even argue that Andre Iguodala has the capability of getting up into that group. So, like, the, the depth just isn't close to me, and then that's why Miami has a very real chance of winning this series. Um, and it's kind of, it's going to come down to this dichotomy of, like, who, which group can make it closer, right? Can, can Butler and Bam get closer to LeBron and AD's level? Or can the Lakers role players get closer to the Miami role players level? That, that's going to be the, the tail of the series. Well, and do you imagine Spolstra, you know, we saw towards the tail end of that series against Boston that he basically trimmed his rotation down to seven guys, cut out a backup center entirely. You know, Olenek was not playing at all. Uh, basically just playing the, the starting lineup and then Hero and Iggy off the bench. Do you see... Do you see that uh, continuing as just a seven-man rotation, or do you imagine with this particular matchup that somebody else on the Heat, whether that be Olenek or Derek Jones Jr. or uh, or even Kendrick Nunn, might get some time in, in this matchup? I mean, all, all three of those guys, there's there's a way I could see all three of those guys getting in there. Um, like, we, we talked earlier about the Lakers' problems containing, you know, guards who can attack. Uh, and penetrate, like, Kendrick Nunn could provide that kind of spark as an attacking guard, right? I mean, you, you don't want to overtax LeBron in that role, so obviously he wouldn't be tasked with guarding Kendrick Nunn. I don't think he would need to be, but at the same time, you put another guy who can penetrate out there and stretches the Lakers' perimeter stoppers a little more thin. I think, I think the Lakers' perimeter defense is strong when it comes to, like, closing out on shooters and taking away those kind of clean looks. Um, I don't think it's as strong in terms of containing penetration. So that's that's an area you can see Kendrick Nunn getting in there. You can see Derek Jones Jr. getting in there as another body to throw at LeBron. He's obviously doesn't have the strength, but he, he's he's if, if guys get into foul trouble, if you need a guy for a couple of minutes, you can put him out there. And and then Kelly Olynyk kind of uh, you know would be the the uh, antidote to. If the Lakers' big lineup is, is really causing problems, that's that's a way to to stretch them out or to match their size if, if you need to just get a, a bigger guy in there on the glass. So I can see all three of those guys being inserted at times. 
to me, that's more of an adjustment that comes if the Lakers are, are really controlling the series. More of a desperation adjustment. I think Spolstra would rather keep it with the seven guys we mentioned, but I, I wouldn't be surprised just to see any of them get involved at here, here or there. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree with Simon there. I especially see room for um, Derek Jones Jr. as an additional LeBron defender. Somebody who, I mean, I definitely not want to put him there uh, to uh, play along, you know, to defend AD, but as someone with size, athleticism as maybe an additional rim protector, you know, a different look at a big position and someone who can um, play along that way. I could definitely see um, him getting that look. But as Simon mentioned, this, the same could be said for Olenek at times. The same could be said, I mean, even Kendrick Nunn. No, I doubt it. But in general, like, you could definitely, I could definitely see Spolstra wanting to stick with the group that got in there, wanting to stick with that tight rotation. But he's been one of the best at making adjustments. And if he sees a role for a player on his on his roster that can come in and, and make something happen, then I'm sure he will make that adjustment. And, and, if that, and that, I think that does mean one of those players having at least some time in the series. Yeah, the... Um... The other thing, and just in terms of the coaching matchup, you know, Eric Spolster, I think has has made a case. You know, I've I've always thought of him as a has an excellent coach, but he has made his case after really I think out coaching Brad Stevens in the Eastern Conference Finals. He's ma- he's made a case as as arguably being one of the top you know two or three coaches in the entire league, and uh, it's it's a fun matchup too because you know you've got this uh, this guy in Spolstra who you know is a is a Hall of Famer. And then Frank Vogel, who really, I think, uh, you know, just from hearing you guys talk about him, I think he has impressed all of us in terms of his ability to make adjustments throughout these playoffs. You know, in that Houston series in particular, you know, just immediately going small and, uh, and, and essentially saying, you know, I don't, I don't care if the, the old school style would say, oh, we've got to beat Houston the way we've played all season long with our big guys. No, he said, you know what, they go small. We can just do small better than them, and uh, yeah, Vogel has been has been very impressive. Yeah, I think I think that uh, Spolstra has certainly like cranked his spot in the top two or three. I, I, look, I I think if I had to choose one coach, I would choose Eric Spolstra right now. Um, like if I'm just kind of building a team from scratch, uh, he's he's shown me like Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr. Have, I mean, Popovich has, has the, the lifetime achievement, obviously, and, and Kerr has been the coach of the most successful team in in recent times. But, like, both of those guys have kind of underwhelmed me in terms of some of their playoff, you know, playoff adjustment type stuff uh, over the last five years or so. Um, to me, it's like Spolstra and Nick Nurse are, if we're talking about postseason coach, give them a blank, like, just roster X, who do you most want? Those are like the two guys I'd, I'd take over anyone in the league right now. Yeah, and I'd throw, I'd throw Rick Carlisle in that group too. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know what? That's a great call. It's probably those three. Um, but, but to your point, uh, yeah, Vogel has, has really impressed me in, in how high I would probably put him on that list after, after this postseason. Yeah, so um, we, we've kind of talked about this previously, but who are some guys that are are X factors for you in this series. I, I already mentioned Jay Crowder, I think in, in part because, you know, he may find LeBron guarding him and if LeBron is 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 assigned to him so that he can help out and, and kind of wreak havoc in the paint, Crowder's gonna have to knock down some shots and all and also, you know, Crowder is going to be tasked with defending LeBron at times as well. So his his role is going to be important. But 
uh, who are who are some of the uh, some of the guys that you guys are looking at that that can make the difference? Corbin, you, you start this one because mine's going to be a, a little surprising. Okay. You going to mention well, Jared I'm, Dudley, I'm... Simon? <laughs> <laughs> He's somehow going to find a way to quote Jared Smith, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm thinking it's going to be Draymond Green announcing the game. No, okay. no so um, <laughs> I, I my first is Rajon Rondo. If his shooting sustains, I think having another guy who can be a ball hawk, uh, particularly on Dragic at times, but just in general. We've seen him just wreak havoc on the defensive end this postseason when inspired. I think that will be something if a shooting is sustained. Uh, I definitely can see him picking up part of the zone. Having him and LeBron on the floor at times, again, a lot of the swing on his shooting uh, makes him an X factor. For me, though, I think Kyle Kuzma is the one because he brings things that I don't think Miami's had to do with in terms of, or haven't had to do with consistently, or in conjunction with LeBron and AD. In someone who if he's not taking dumb shots and is somewhat, you know, reliable on the defensive end and not jumping for every pump fake, in theory, can shoot the ball from range, can make some plays on the offensive end off the dribble, can adequately defend, and has some size. And when you bring that in alongside LeBron and AD, possibly the Marquise Morris or another big, I think that unlocks another lineup or at least another issue for Miami to stretch out to defend that may not be as easily solved with the zone, especially when you already have LeBron and AD looking for cracks and soft spots in it in general. So, I mean, plus he's due for, for some type of play, <laughs> some type of improvement, because he's been, he was thoroughly outplayed in the, in the West Coast Finals uh, matchup against Michael Porter Jr., and, I mean, he's someone that, going into the season, I definitely didn't believe this, all I wanted to hope was looked as a third star. If he can be a star in his role and be a, quote-unquote, third star for this series, I think that will reap huge benefits for LA in general, and will bring something to Miami that their defense is, is, is very good, they're already going to count for a lot, as well as players and, and, and schemes on the fly that will continue to adjust for that. So if you add some variance, like some hot shot making, or you know how Kuzma gets into his move, you know his rhythm when he starts making a couple shots, I think that could be a key for the Lakers. So uh, Rondo, Maine, and then Kuzma as well for me. So first of all, I think that if, if we're just talking about like X factors in the most objective sense, Clearly, the, the biggest X factor in the series is whether or not these, some of these Lakers role players can get hot, or on the flip side, some if some Miami shooters have a have a cold shooting series. Um, I mean, that's just how basketball works these days, right? Like, if 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 Rondo, Kuzma, KCP, Danny Green, if these guys are raining threes, the Lakers are winning the title uh, because they have LeBron and AD, as we talked about. Um, so. Certainly, no, no disagreement there. Um, that being said, I think that outside of that, which to me is like just too hard to even predict or, or really think about, um, we already talked about how we know that, like, more or less, I think the the, the stars in the series are all accounted for. LeBron is going to be fantastic, but I also think that we know that Miami has a bunch of guys to throw at him, um, and I don't think he's going to just, like, tear up this team like he can do to some. We didn't really talk about it, but the, the BAM-AD matchup, uh, it's an amazing matchup. It's one that I I would like to maybe get into before we close. Um, but more or less, like, AD is just a better version of BAM Autobio. They both can guard each other better than pretty much anyone else in the league could guard either of them. Um, 
I, I would, again, I would like to get into kind of who does that favor. Uh, but, but I think we more or less know what those guys' roles are going to be. Jimmy Butler, to me, is the X factor in this series. Um, because, like, I just have no idea what kind of offensive series Jimmy Butler is going to have. Like, absolutely none. But if he can, if he can dictate things offensively, like for large stretches, either be that as as a scorer or setting up teammates for easy shots by like collapsing the defense, drawing help. Um, that's just a swing factor where I just think Miami is overwhelmingly likely to win the, the championship if Jimmy Butler can do that, because we, we've talked about kind of how they match up elsewhere and, and the edges they have. Um, I don't think Butler did that against Boston. I, I think that he, for the majority of the series, was just another another guy, a, a very good player, but uh, he, he had to really pick his spots, and he had his moments, and he, he made a huge difference, and he was one of many guys who you could say was the difference, but, like, they had Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like, all of those guys made it really difficult on Butler at times, and he, and he had to pick his spots. Um, I just don't think L.A. has those same bodies. We talked about it earlier. Outside of LeBron, I don't know who can defend him at that level. So, to me, it's like, if Jimmy Butler can go from the, you know, the gritty two-way player, leader, 18 to 20 point per game scorer, pick his spots late in games guy, if he can go from that guy to like a 25 to 28 point per game, like, huge problem for large stretches of several games in the series, that that just swings it to Miami in a way that I don't think LA has an answer for. Yeah, that's... Uh... A lot, a lot to uh, respond to there. First, the the Bam Anthony Davis matchup. I agree with you. I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. And yeah, they're both incredibly versatile players, and and it'll be fascinating to see you know who has more of an impact on the offensive end. Of course, Davis has been so effective as a post up option after being you know I, I think a solid option there. But prior to this playoff run, a, a guy that you know if. The Lakers threw the ball into the post. I don't think any teams were just like saying, oh, this is has to be an immediate double. Um, but uh, he has been fantastic. So who's going to be more effective, you know, sort of orchestrating the offense? Anthony Davis from the block or Bam Adebayo with that dribble handoff game, that, uh, you know, that action from the elbows? That's going to be really interesting and, and a key factor in this series. And, uh, and yeah, the the Jimmy Butler comment is, is interesting as well. You know, I, I don't even think... Again, I think that's one of the the huge benefits of this Miami Heat team, and we saw it in the Boston series. You know, Game 6, you had an incredible game from Bam Adebayo. You had another game, a 37-point game from Tyler Hero. You know, Jimmy Butler has scored 40. Uh, He scored 40 against Milwaukee. You've had Goran Dragic go for for 30 at various times. So game to game, they can have a a different guy be the be the lead and and yes I do think Jimmy Butler is going to have to have at least a couple games where he goes for 30 plus if the Heat are going to win this and and again yeah especially if he's not being guarded by LeBron I think he's he's capable of doing so yeah that's going to be interesting to see how he unlocks he's been playing so well um, all, all, I mean all season I'm sorry not standing but definitely in the postseason as well and you're right he's someone that I, I didn't even look I mean most people aren't looking at 
a star, you know, on the team as the X Factor, but it's true, a lot can swing that way, and if he has room to work, and you see his isolation game, you see, you know, how he's able to get shots, you see how good of a distributor he is, and still as, as dog and defender, that, that can make a very big difference, and, and can definitely swing it, like I both mentioned, especially with LeBron on him, if that if that turns out to be the case. There are so many matchups in this map. The more you're talking and bringing this stuff up, the more I'm even having to consider things I hadn't even thought about. It's like, wow, like, just on his head is already complex matchup, but as you flesh it out even deeper, both sides have, have some compelling cases for why they can conceivably win this whole thing. Well, like, to the, to the whole uh, Bam-AD matchup, like, one reason why it's just so fascinating to me, again, like, among many other matchups in the series, is like, so, yeah, we, we know that Anthony Davis is the, the better player overall, um, and we also know that, like, if you could pick your defender to guard AD in the whole league, it might be Bam Adebayo. Um, but, like, I don't know, this is almost more, like, philosophical again, but, like, I don't know who I would, who that favors. Because it's, on one hand, you could say for Miami, like, that's, that's a huge win for Miami because AD has been, like, one of the Lakers' two huge advantages throughout this entire season and if you can like somewhat limit him with Bam and give him someone he has to focus on on the other end that's a win. On the other hand Bam has been so massive for Miami this whole postseason maybe not quite as important as AD has been for the Lakers but but not too far off and if, if, if AD can just reduce Bam to like oh here's a guy who is limiting AD. Like, if that's Bam's ultimate value is like, oh, he's he's limiting AD, but he still has to be, he has to guard AD all the time. He can't do as much in help defense. On the offensive end, he's not able to just, like, dominate like he was against Daniel Tice, for example. Um, I, don't, I don't know who to view that as a win for, even though we can agree that AD's the better player. Um, I, that, that's just, like, so fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. Um, one of the one of the uh, questions I like to talk about with every one of these series previews is if either of these teams get down 0-2 in the series, what sort of adjustments can the coach make to kind of change momentum and, and get them back? And of course, you know, being down 0-2 in the bubble isn't as uh, as as big of a deal as it has been in the past because you don't have those swings of home and road. Um, I've got a couple of, I've got, uh, something for each team, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts first. Uh, Simon, you can, you can go first on this one. <laughs> you gave me the last one. <laughs> All right, well, no, for me, it's, it's, it's really just what I said earlier about ro- rotational stuff. Like, I, I'm just curious to see, uh, if whoever, whoever is, whether it's going up 2-0, whether it's 2-1, 3-1, 3-2, whoever has the lead in this series as it goes on. Um, I, I'm just I'm curious to see which kind of half rotation players get tapped into, whether that be Nunn, Derek Jones Jr., Kelly Olynyk on the on the Miami side, or for the Lakers. You know, like I mean, we we know that they they're probably going to go a little deeper with the bench, and they're they're just going to naturally change things up a little more. Um, but like. Which which approach do they take? Be it like we're going to leave, uh, we're going to leave some more offensive liabilities on the floor by playing guys like 
Alex Caruso. I still, again, I don't fully trust Rondo as a shooting threat. Um, but lean more into kind of ball handling and defense with, with that type of iteration. Or are we going to lean uh, into shooting because Miami is just like the zone is still working and, and it's the same, even though I said earlier, like I, I trust Bobo to figure it out. Maybe this is how he figures it out. But like, I just need to play three and D wings all over the court and have LeBron orchestrate. Uh, so, so that, that's kind of all I have in terms of adjustments. I'm, I'm curious, Garrett, if you have more like intricate strategic stuff. Yeah. My, uh, my big thing for, um, for LA is especially, you know, against Miami, if, if the Heat are playing man to man, and then of course, one of the key reasons why they, they took out My, uh, Myers Leonard and, and put Bam at the five is it allowed, it has allowed them to switch a ton of actions. And we've seen this throughout LeBron James's career, but, uh, you know, if the Lakers happen to be down 0-2, I wouldn't be surprised if they just really start relentlessly going after the weak links, whatever defender is on the floor for Miami, whether that's Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic, or Tyler Hero, and, and LeBron just punishing that mismatch every time down the floor. We've seen it before. Uh, that Now, of course, that'll be very tiring for LeBron, and uh, he's also got to defend a, uh, a motion-based offense on the other end, but but that's something I could see the Lakers do. Of course, also, you know, if, if the Lakers are, are going smaller and that's not working, they can always try to go back to their, uh, you know, default size and, and, and try to dominate the boards, maybe uh, grind the game, make it more physical, uh, and, and vice versa. If the bigs aren't working, they can go a little bit smaller, but those were kind of the things I thought for L.A. And then for Miami... I think a big adjustment they could make, especially, again, if Jay Crowder is not hitting shots, is I wouldn't be shocked if, if the Heat are down 0-2, if, if Spolstra uh, replaces Crowder in the starting lineup with Tyler Hero and uh, really make it difficult for the Lakers to have anywhere um, to, to hide LeBron on the defensive end and really force him to play and also put just more shooting out there on the floor. Oh, no, no, I was saying I really agree with that one in terms of that um, move for uh, Miami, particularly with Crowder shooting the way he's been. It's a troubling downward trend as we've talked about before. Um, real quick, I know you're about to run off signing with this, but before I um, no, yeah, no, I wanted, before I forget, I was saying that um, for me, it's really just how Frank Vogel specifically handles the big situation. He's pushed all the right buttons so far. You know, be it JaVale McGee in the first round straight up, uh, uh, Marquise Morris in the second round, Dwight Howard, you know, in the conference finals. How does he match out Bam Adebayo, who is obviously a unique big, uh, and, and it's probably, not probably, definitely better than any big strip aside from ED that the Lakers have to offer. Um, whether he goes small off the, off the top, whether he starts this base lineup, whatever the case may be, I think that's going to be important to keep an eye on. And not just for game one, but for the adjustments that he'll inevitably, inevitably make um, as the series goes along there. Yeah, and, and that kind of is a part of what I was going to ask, which is, Garrett, you, you made the point, like, the Lakers might just go mismatch hunting at a certain point and try to get LeBron defended by ideally Duncan Robinson or, you know, Dragic or Hero would still be hugely favorable matchups compared to the other wing defenders that Miami would prefer to have on LeBron. Um, so what, what, why that's so interesting to me is, like, if you do that, first of all, you're turning those Miami wings into help defenders, yeah. And those guys are great help defenders. Uh, almost all of them, if not all of them. Um, led 
probably by Bam being like the best. I mean, he, he might not force turnovers like some of those other guys, but like just as a guy who can like defend everywhere on the court, recover, uh, you know, get, get into a rim protecting position. Uh, like that's, that's one thing that you do if, if you take that approach. And the other thing is like, if the Lakers are mismatch hunting in that way, they can't really do it with an AD LeBron pick and roll unless they're forcing a switch before that somehow. Because like, if you bring AD to set the screen, you're just getting Bam switched off to LeBron. Um, and that's not the guy they want to attack. So then they're going to have to use some of their less dynamic players as screeners to get LeBron the switch they want. And then you're taking AD out of the primary action, and that could favor Miami too. So I'm just curious how you feel about that. Like, A, taking AD out of that primary action, and B, turning those Miami defenders into help guys. Like, are you actually creating an overall advantage by hunting mismatches for LeBron? Yeah, I mean, we saw it a little bit in the in the Nuggets series where I think the, the Lakers... Uh, had had Kuzma and even KCP at times set screens and then kind of pick and pop, and they got some open shots. They made some. Uh, I think Denver was fine with that, living with that, and I think Miami would be as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great point in terms of, uh, yeah, you, you, you don't want, uh, even though AD is solid if he's kind of standing in the short corner as like a, as a lob option if the, the defense overhelps, but uh, yeah, just kind of setting him there in the cor- in the short corner doesn't exactly utilize his talents as much as you would want. And then yeah, the the fact that when you're when you're putting one of the Heat's weaker defenders, which I would say at most Miami typically only has two weak defenders on the floor, that just makes it so that every mo- like three out of the four at least other help defenders are are really solid. And uh, yeah, it's. It's, it's going to be interesting. You know, the more I think about this Lakers half-court offense, the more I think it it could be a struggle. Uh, I definitely see that point bogging down. Um, I say that for both teams. Uh, I think watching a lot of these conference finals and seeing how that happened was a problem, but I've, I've watched uh, Lakers games and it's been something I've seen all season on that end as well. So it definitely could be an issue. Um, just bogged down ugly basketball, you know, runs where, you know, you don't have – a couple, a couple points scored at any one time. Um, I guess if you're a fan of that, you know, 90 to, to 85, much like the score that the Lakers actually had, coincidentally against the Heat, almost a full calendar year ago, then you'll be a big fan of this um type of finals because I, I think both offensive, offensive have both offenses, excuse me, have potential to go off with the Lakers um being led by, of course, two of the best in LeBron and AD, with the Heat having more of a well-balanced attack. But both can and often do go on droughts at particular moments. Um, the Heat usually uh, starting out um, come up, come off slow, and then they have uh, a big hit in the third quarter, and then the Lakers generally do well, and then the fourth quarter comes, and it's like they forget um, how to maintain any semblance of offense continuity. So that will be interesting to see, too, who breaks out of those dry spells faster um, and who can go the longest without sustaining one. Yeah, so... Uh... Was there anything else, Corbin or Simon, that uh, that you felt like we needed to discuss about this series before we get to our predictions? Uh, well, I, this is a, this is a prediction, but not a series prediction. This is just like one thing that I think is going to happen is that Danny Green and Andre Iguodala, I think, are both going to have big moments in this series. Uh, 
just just based on the fact that those are guys who like like I think the Lakers need shooters like three and D wings. Like I said, I think they're going to need to play those guys more minutes and play. I, I think the the super big lineup. I think the the point guards are going to struggle at times too because of their offensive limitations. I think they're going to play their wings a lot, and I think Danny Green. Uh, well, he's not the same guy he used to be. Just has that finals experience, and I feel the same way about Andre Iguodala. I just think that like that those veteran, you know, small forward sized guys um, are going to be so valuable uh, in a, in a big moment, um, and and we're going to be talking about them more than we have been throughout the postseason so far. That's just like a little subplot prediction I have. I like it. Yeah, my uh, I was actually uh, looking at Danny Green's playoff statistics beforehand because I, uh, you know, I'd seen in some of the broadcasts they were showing like he was shooting twenty seven percent from three, but I was actually looking on cleaning the glass, and he's, uh, and and maybe it's because he's been uh, shooting the ball a little bit better, or he shot the ball a little bit better towards the end of the conference finals, but he's up to thirty six percent, you know, a little bit below what you would want from Danny Green, but. You know he's still a threat, and, and absolutely he's still capable of of, uh, of going crazy. And and we saw with Andre Iguodala in in that game six, and and we saw it in game six of the of the uh, 2019 finals as well. He is capable when uh, you know the lights are the brightest of stepping up and and making shots. As uh, I know Simon, we've we've talked about in the past that it always seems like Iguodala has a terrible like three or four games, and then one game he just absolutely lights it up. But, uh, yeah, so um, do you want me to make my prediction first, or do you guys want to go? <laughs> I almost want to hear yours, to be honest. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, let's, yeah, Gary, why don't you start us off? All right. I'm going the Miami Heat in six. I could never have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Though. Wow, that's in six. Well, I feel like if it goes seven, uh, LeBron James has a pretty good track record in game sevens. Uh, but this is, uh, my, this is my conundrum because that's what you said. I feel like I have to go next, Corbin. Of course, uh, I'm in the exact same. That's exactly how I feel, Garrett. Like to me, this series is extremely even. Um, it's very tight. I think I like. I want to take the Heat for two reasons. One is that I just. I'll feel smarter if I'm right than if I take the Lakers. Um, and the other is that I just, I do have a little more faith in, like I mentioned earlier, the two X factors to me are Jimmy Butler having like a massive scoring series or LA's like bottom half of its rotation. Even like playing even with Miami's rotation players, I just have more faith in, in, in the former, um, which is where I give Miami the edge. But then it's like, yeah, I have to, I have to pick them at six if I'm going to pick them. And to me, this is like such an even series. It feels like a seven-gamer. And if it's a seven-gamer, you, you can't not say Lakers. Um, so I, I am going Miami in six. But like, I'm also hedging by saying I think it's seven is more likely. And I think I would pick the Lakers in a game seven. All right, Corbin. I, uh, I, I, I have a feeling I know which way you're leaning. But uh, why don't you tell us? <laughs>
Boston, or I think maybe we're giving uh, maybe too much love to Boston compared to LA. I think they're a totally different beast. And even though the Heat might have the next six to eight best players between the two, not that that matters, the Lakers have the two that are most important. I think they'll be the ones that lead LA to victory. All right, well, guys, I uh, can't thank you enough for for joining. This was this was a heck of a lot of fun, and uh, I know Simon, you said you were. You were interested in doing a, a future episode, maybe talking uh, after these playoffs have concluded about some some of the players uh, and and how their legacies have maybe been altered from their performances. But uh, again, thank you both for for taking the time. This was this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, it's it's awesome to be back podcasting, and uh, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk player legacies, especially. Uh, we, we, we discussed doing it maybe before the series, but it makes so much more sense to wait because, like, especially if Corbin turns out to be the prescient one and LA wins, we, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get into a, a LeBron discussion at that point. So. Yes. Yeah, I've done. Uh, I believe it's it's five episodes of the MJ versus LeBron debate on Duncan Dynasty, and we might have to do a six after this series. So. All right, guys. Well, yeah. Thanks again, and uh, you know, stay safe out there. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find... Me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host, Corbin Ford, on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he uh, he does does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for.
Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com internet for details.